It is great to be back. Um, to give you a little background, you know, when you travel so much, you take people around the world, uh, you end up in a place like Guatemala, and somebody will say, well, Tom, how many cows are in Guatemala? Well, first of all, who cares? <laughs> Secondly, I don't know. Uh, so if I got to ask, I got to ask our partner who's with us. He doesn't know. He has to ask somebody else. They have to ask somebody else. And it goes up the ladder. be like somebody asking something, and you have to go to Pastor Butch or Bruce. And why? There's 10,000. Just easy to say there's 10,000. They go, oh, okay, great. Well, the problem is you get stuck at that. You have to remember what you said. And uh, then you have to be truthful with that answer from then on. So, you know, we would, so people will ask, you know, uh, we make buildings out of concrete or cinder block. And somebody will say, well, what's the difference? I say, well, what's the amount of rocks you put in the mixture? I don't know. <laughs> but I thought it sounded good. And you have to say it immediately with authority, then that sounds pretty good. Well, I've had fun with Butch and Bruce. My daughter said to me one day, Dad, do you realize there was never an answer we asked that you couldn't answer? And you wonder why we have trust issues. <laughs> so I didn't ask, answer a question for two weeks after that. She was on her own. What a joy to be here. What a joy to be back. Uh, I love this church. You have some wonderful, gifted men and women in your presence today with missions organizations all around the world, any one of whom could be here today speaking, and I would love to sit and listen to them, and I get the honor, though, to speak, but you have the privilege to spend time with them in the other room, the FLC, I, I guess is the place. We did that uh, Friday night and Saturday morning. I sat underneath Brother Gary's uh, talk and was just thrilled and amazed and ministered to. So you need to do that. Don't let that be an option. Go meet the missionary families that are here, the people representing the organizations to hear what God's doing through their life and the story they have to tell that would encourage you. So I, I pray that you would do that. I've had the opportunity, as Pastor Bruce said, to be with the two of them in Thailand uh, to do some training with our friends that come in from other countries. Uh, Maranatha, you need to be proud of your pastors and what they do and the hard uh, ministry they have. I have been with them for eight hours a day teaching theology. They do it again at night. There's questions that will come their way. The men and women at that conference absolutely love them and your pastors love those people as well. Thank you for investing in the lives of those people whom if I were able to share today, the lives they touch in their training literally impact millions of people in various countries because of their teaching. You need to be encouraged by what you're doing. Maranatha's handprint is on the world because of your investment, which is partly what I want to talk about today. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for uh, your church. I, I just want you to know I have prayed for your church every week for years. I feel like a part of your family. And I mean that sincerely. Over the past many, many years, I pray for your church and your pastors by name every week that God will use this place around the world. And it's just an honor. And a couple of weeks ago, I was with eight of your amazing people in Peru. Um, and I thought the videographer of that uh, was pretty amazing, which was me. Um, <laughs> Because I was able to hold it in one place. I asked Pastor Butch to do a video for me. 
And he did it, and it was a rather long video, and by the time 15 seconds went by, my body from here down was in the video. (laughs) None of this was there. It was gone. So keep him as a preacher, not a videographer. He is awful. He's awful. But I believe this for both Butch and Bruce. Whatever captures the imagination of the pastor drives the church. The imagination of these two men in your church is church planting and missions around the world. And I know you've dedicated this Sunday to be a part of missions, but missions is more than just this Sunday. And I want to say thank you, uh, Maranatha, because we're about to celebrate our 25th year together as a ministry partner, World Help and Maranatha. You've given over $1.7 million to the work around the world through World Help. For such things as the Global Impact Fund, Children of the World, you've given four village transformations in Guatemala and Peru, children's homes in India, disaster relief in places like Southeast Asia, Middle East, Ukraine, uh, and Katrina. You have done multiple water projects, church buildings in India and Zambia. You have done church planting training in Cuba, India, Guatemala, Peru, China, impacting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives. And on behalf of World Help, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your partnership. We are extremely grateful. But our lives should be more than honoring God. It should be about setting an example for those in the next generation. William James said, The great use of one's life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. For the value of life is not by its duration, but by its donation. So how do you want to be remembered as an individual? How do you want to be remembered as a church? But not with intentionality. You see, everybody's going to show up somewhere, but few people show up somewhere on purpose. You have to have intentionality. I want to be involved in evangelism, discipleship. I want to bring people closer to Jesus Christ. So to do that, we live with generosity. Generosity, as you see, changes our lives. It connects us with others. It helps us invest in what matters the most. I believe with all of my heart, if we talk about missions, we're really talking about generosity because generosity is the gateway to intimacy with God. Generosity has to do more than just money. Has to do with you are uh, who you are as a person, the investment of your life, and how God wants to use you for His glory. There's a Bible story that brings this out. So, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 26, or you could look on the screen. It involves Mary. It involves the disciples. This is a story about God's heart. It's a powerful story that teaches us the things that God cares about and how we view ourselves and the perception of other people. So in Matthew 26, and when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, a fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For the fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. There's a truth, and the truth is this. A mirror gives insight, a window gives perspective. You know what I mean? Y'all got up this morning, you went to the bathroom, looked in the mirror. 
Went to the bedroom, get enough courage to go back and look again. You know what I mean. A mirror just gives, it just shows you what's happening, but a window gives perspective. You look outside and you see not yourself, you see something else. So this is a story that God wants us to see about his heart, what is taking place through the lens of different characters that are a place here. It, it's in the middle of the betrayal of Jesus. He's about to die. Juxtaposed between Judas's greed, the disciples' indifference, and Mary's grace in listening to Jesus in her obedient ear of mercy and compassion is this story. It's Saturday, just before the crucifixion, six days before Passover, they're in Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem, the place where Simon the leper was healed, the place where Lazarus was raised from the dead. The disciples are there, Simon is there, Lazarus is there, Jesus is there, Mary and Martha is there, and that's the setting of the story. There's a supper to honor Jesus. The men are reclining, they're conversing. They had been with Jesus for three years. He had talked about what was taking place, but in the midst of this, they were just unaware. They were indifferent. But not Mary. She wasn't listening. She wasn't in conversation. She wasn't uh, planning the meal or planning the food. She wasn't busy except for one thing, getting ready for her Savior's death and burial. So she brought a bottle of ointment, broke it, and poured it on his head. As she did that, the Bible says the disciples were indignant. It doesn't just say they were ticked off. It said they were really upset and angry what was taking place. Maybe because the social norm wasn't appropriate. Maybe because she was showing them up. Maybe because they didn't like what was taking place. Maybe they were indifferent to what was happening. So why was Mary doing this? And so this, this could have happened. And, and of course, Judah said, well, man, we could have sold this and given it to the poor. He could care less about the poor. He had something else on his mind. Sometimes words mask what we really mean and what we really say. There are times that it masks the agenda that we have. To the disciples, such an outpouring was a waste. But to Jesus, it was worship. Sometimes when you do something for the cause of Christ, people may say, what a waste. To give your life in full-time missions, and Jesus says it's worship. When you serve at the church, what a waste, it's worship. When you give all of your life to be what God wants you to be, it's waste, but it's worship. People have different perspectives. Even in the church, they'll have different perspectives, as we'll see in a second. But what Mary did, she did from a thankful heart. So there's three takeaways I want you to have in the moments that we have today. And the first is this. Generosity teaches us to focus on what's important. Look at verse 10. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. So the lesson is this. We must be more concerned about Jesus than those around us. Why do you trouble her? This is a good work. In the original language, it means she's done a beautiful thing. What she has done is beautiful. Jesus is saying it's not that 
thinking about the poor is wrong. Anybody can serve the poor. It's what you do for me that matters for eternity. In other words, if you love Jesus with all of your heart and all of your soul, then you will love people as they should be loved. But if you don't love Jesus the way he should be loved, you will love other people with conditions on them. And Jesus doesn't want us to serve or love people with conditions. I'll never forget, Benny, my first time in India. I was with Dr. Raju Abraham. We're on the Ganges River. And he was telling me the story how he had come from South India to Northern India. He was a medical doctor and he was a church planter to plant churches where none existed up in the Varanasi area of Uttar Pradesh. And while he was there, he was trying to learn the language and he couldn't learn, he couldn't learn, he couldn't learn. He says, Tom, I'm a brilliant man. He wasn't being arrogant. He said, I'm a brilliant man, I'm a medical doctor. I just couldn't learn the language of these people. He said, one day I'm sitting in the river on this boat just like you are right now. And God said to me, it's because you don't love the people. What do you mean I don't love the people, Lord? You don't love the people. You've come to be a missionary. You've come to be a doctor. You've come to plant churches. You've come to be involved. But you really don't love the people that you are ministering and a part of. And he had to recognize and admit his prejudicial heart. Being from South India, it's different than being in North India, isn't it? And he had to say, oh, God, forgive me. And it was as if the floodgates opened and he began to speak the language fluently that he had been studying. It's not about the poor. He cared about the poor. But it was about his relationship with Jesus and loving Jesus so much, he was willing to say, Jesus, I'll do and be and go wherever you want me to do it because I love you and you love people. Do we love our neighbors that way? Do we love the people we work with that way? You see, a generous heart begins when we're focused on eternal purposes rather than the issues around us. My first time, or one of my first times into China, we were meeting with some house church leaders, and I'll never forget, we walked down the road, and a door was opened, and Vernon and I walked in. We sat down, and this is just an example of one of those churches, and I happened to walk into this one. It was 40 people, men, women, children. It was cold and rainy, and there was no heat. There was no mic system. There was no band. There was no worship. There was no PowerPoint. There was not even really any chairs for people to sit on. There was one Bible for the people to share among these 40 believers. And I got in there and they had wept because we were some of the first people that had ever come in from America to ever spend time with them and sit down and teach and preach and help them in their walk with Christ. And they wept because we were there. One Bible. But they were happy in the midst of not having anything. Why? Because they had Jesus. Jesus is all they needed. Jesus is the one who they loved and served knowing they could be put in prison and they could suffer for the cause of Christ. But Jesus was the one that was the most important to them. It was April of 2010. We went into Cuba. We had an idea meeting with our partners there to be able to plant a thousand churches in Cuba. And I want to tell you what God is doing in the midst of that because in the picture you see are 
just about 35 or 40 people. There are some that are lame. There's some that are blind. There's some uh, in a wheelchair. And that young man in the wheelchair, I talked to him, and his desire was to plant a church. He would wheel himself four kilometers down the road to plant a church. I went back my second time, and I said to him, how's the church plant going? He said, what do you mean church plant? I've already planted four churches now in his wheelchair because of his love and his perspective. He's more concerned about Jesus than he is anything or anybody else. Now, I want to tell you, we had a goal to plant 1,000 churches, but by God's grace and your help, Maranatha, we have planted 3,168 house churches in Cuba, and we have seen 153,149 new Christ followers because of what you have done. I was just there in August. Uh, your pastor, Butch, and Barb has been there, and Butch preached an evangelistic message, and people came to Christ. And I asked him, I said, now, in COVID... Churches stop for a while, but I have been to a lot of churches in America, a lot of opportunities to preach and share the gospel, but I have yet to be at a church that has gone back to full capacity. Churches are 70% back, 80% back, 90% back. Now they have a lot of people who watch online, but in their attendance, I've yet to find a church that's at 100% capacity. I said, how about you? They said, what do you mean, how about us? We've grown. I said, what do you mean? You're in a communist country. How have you grown? He said, well, because of COVID, we were forced to go and use WhatsApp. And so we started Bible studies and we had discipleship centers in more homes than we had before because these are house churches. So our friends just began to invite their friends because they were lonely and they wanted to share Jesus. And so when finally it was open and we could come back together in our house churches, we couldn't contain them. We had to start other house churches because COVID helped us grow. I said, isn't that amazing? I talked to one church planter who walks 10 miles each way to plant a church. On his way one day, he met a sorcerer. A sorcerer was trying to cast a spell and get him killed. And instead, the church planter shared the love of Jesus uh, with that sorcerer. The sorcerer came to faith in Jesus, and that sorcerer now was in our church planter's training, who's now planting a church. Because of what you are doing, Maranatha, as every month you give funds for Cuba church plantings, that is what you have done. You are helping. I said one church planter <clears throat> during that time in August who walks four miles to plant a church. Why do you do that? He said, it's the only way to move dirt. So what? He said, it's the only way to move dirt. If I don't walk the four miles each way, how do you move the dirt? How do you see people come to Jesus? How do you plant a church? How do you make a difference? You see, I think Mary may have been the best listener that Jesus had because she understood the full significance of what it was about to take place. She sat at his feet and heard his teachings. She had seen his miracles and saw what happened to her own brother. She heard him say earlier that he was going to be crucified and he would die for the sins of the world. So Mary fully understood what she held in her hand and what she was about to give to Jesus sitting in front of her because of what he was about to do for the world. So how do you say thank you for something like that? You do it with extravagant grace. 
If we really knew what Jesus has done for us, sometimes I wonder if we would do more for him. Oh, we come to church. I'm not belittling that fact. I, Tom, you're speaking to the choir today. I understand that. So I've come to encourage and afflict at the same time. Thank you very much. But what would it mean if we knew that our love for Jesus was as deep as what Mary was experiencing because she's about to lose somebody she had been with for years and he's going to die for her? What, what, what do I have? Man, I got this oil. I need to anoint him. I, I need to, I'm going to break this and I'm going to put it on his head and his feet. And she gives her the most expensive thing that he has. And you know what's interesting? What are the disciples doing? This is great. No, they're not. They're chiding her. They're rebuking her. They're embarrassed for their Savior. What are you doing, Mary? What's happening here? Why? They were indifferent. Having been in the presence of Jesus, heard the same things Mary heard, they were indifferent. And if we're not careful... We can come to a missions conference and we could hear God say some wonderful things and still be indifferent to what he's doing. And we look around and, man, that person's praising God and praising God and praising God and surrendering to missions. And then we sit here and, how does this impact me? And if we're not careful, we can walk away from a wonderful conference having been both blessed and indifferent at the same time if we're not careful. There are certain things or certain times when things must be done or it'll never be done at all. And we must do what we can to reach the world. So Mary acted upon it. She did it when she could do it, not worrying about what anybody else would think. Why? She had a generous heart. Remember, generosity has very little to do with money has everything to do with your life. Because when Jesus has your life, he's got everything. Jesus had her from go. Because of her past, she knew the redemption that had taken place. So the financial cost didn't restrain her. The emotional cost didn't restrain her. Worrying about what people didn't restrain her. Oh, how our life would be different if we stopped thinking about what people thought about us. Amen? All right, so here's a personal story. Some of you know, I was 21 years, I was the associate pastor for David Jeremiah at Shadow Mountain. Love that job, love that position, love working with Pastor David. But like so many on staff, I'm sitting in the service and one day, uh, in, in midst of David's message, he is sharing with me through the Holy Spirit the truth of God's word. And I'm sitting back here comes time for the invitation, Spirit of God says, I want you to deal with this. You need to go forward. What do you mean I need to go forward? You need to go to the altar. Pastor David, give an altar card. Lord, I'm on staff. <laughs> so, Lord, if I go forward, what do people think of me? So, and as an associate pastor of a large church, I'm fighting the Spirit of God out of the sense of pride in my heart not doing the things that I expect other people to do and in my pride and arrogance fighting with the Spirit of God. What is going on here? So I get up, 
And I go forward, and I knelt at the altar. And it wasn't just but a moment or two, somebody came up, put their arm around me. And when they do that, you kind of sense their presence. And I said, can, can, can I pray with you about something? He said, Pastor Tom, I've never been forward in my life. I started doing what the Spirit of God says we need to do. That was a valuable lesson for me that day. One that transferred into doing what I'm doing here today because as I was preaching for David one day, I'm on this side of the pulpit and I'm saying to the people, you need to get out of the boat and go do what God wants you to do. Doesn't matter how young or old you are. And as a 54-year-old associate pastor, I'm over there and the Spirit of God says, what about you? And I said, what do you mean, what about you? Well, you get out of the boat. What do you mean get out of the boat? I'm telling the people to get out of the boat. What about you? Well, you do that. I argued with God, but I knew I wasn't going to get all the way over there. I argued with God to him. I said, Lord, if you'll just let me finish the message, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just need to finish. This is a little distracting. Spirit of God left because I had said yes, finished the message, walked to the green room, and knew it was time to leave and resign and go somewhere else because I needed to get out of the boat. You see, Mary wasn't concerned about what people thought. She just wanted to bring the best of what she had. And if we would live our life not worried about what people thought, then like Mary, we can kneel down as she did with her hair and washed his feet with her hair, one of the last acts of kindness to Jesus. And that aroma went with Jesus, I think, to the cross, and that aroma probably followed her for the next day or two in her life and the beautiful aspect of the story is her obedience and the sweetness of it followed her wherever she went when you love Jesus and live for Jesus the sweet fragrance of that follows you wherever you go and that's the kind of person God calls us to be Gassan Thomas our partner in Baghdad had been there even during the Iraq war and the soldiers wanted him to leave and he said, uh, can doctors leave hospitals? I'm a pastor, I'm a church planter, I can't leave. Uh, after his associate pastor was killed and he was personally bombed and his neighbor was killed and they walked outside and his son said, dad, what are those red dots on your chest? And his wife almost had a nervous breakdown, he knew it was time to go. He went to Yellow Turkey, where people from Iraq, Iran, Yemen, Morocco, and others go, and they're there until the UN places them within five months or a few years to one of 70 approved countries. He made it to Australia. He's driving a truck, a forklift in Australia. Now, this is a pastor of 1,500 people in Baghdad, Iraq, now driving a forklift. Nothing wrong with that, but he said, God, you called me to pastor. You called me to help train so he had a passion and a vision to train all of these Arabic-speaking people who were coming to Yelava to go plant a church wherever God would put them. And he talked to us at World Help, and we said, we'll partner with you. So Vernon and myself and a couple of others would go over to Yelava, Turkey, two or three times a year, and we would have uh, 30 or 40 people that we would train in church planting and discipleship had a wonderful opportunity. It was great. And at that time, we had already seen 11 house churches planted 
in many countries around the world because these Arabic-speaking people who loved Jesus, some were deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers. They were just people who loved Jesus, but they wanted to do something. So wherever they went, a house church was started with Arabic-speaking people. But one day they wanted me to meet Omar. Omar in the middle is with ISIS. Uh, Omar was so delusioned as one of the leaders of ISIS in Mosul that he fled and went to Yelava, Turkey to try to escape. He was just so disillusioned because, as you know, during those days, they would just line up people and shoot them, and his job would be one by one to make sure the kill shot was in the head. That was his job. He was to be the leader of ISIS in Mosul, where we have been. We were just a couple of kilometers from Mosul with people that just needed to be loved and encouraged, 850 people who had fled. <clears throat> so one day, <clears throat> excuse me, we went in to help them. But Omar came to Yelava, and he's walking the streets, and the church planters that we were working with, the trainers, met him on the streets, befriended him, invited him to their house, and they said, well, what are you, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Why are you loving me? Well, as you know, the story is Omar came to Jesus. Omar became a Christ follower. You know what Omar's doing today? He's in Germany starting house churches, and he's a house church leader. Sounds like Paul, who was formerly a Saul. You see, God can do some amazing things if we let him. Secondly, generosity teaches us to sacrifice for what's important. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. We need to be more concerned about somebody's worth than our own comfort. That's what sacrifice does. It gives up something valuable to gain something even more valuable. Without the death and burial of Jesus, we would never have the resurrection. He gave up something valuable. So Mary came with a sacrifice. She came with a bottle of perfume. I went to Myanmar. I've been there with Pastor Butch and Bruce and formerly called Burma. Kicked him out and he went next door to Burma. Seven years he began to teach and preach before he ever saw his first convert. Buried his first wife, remarried, buried his second wife, buried some of his kids, contracted tuberculosis, was out on a ship out in the harbor, but all during those years he meticulously copied the scriptures into the Burmese language. And when David Yon Mo handed me a copy of this Bible that I have cherished ever since, he said, before Adoniram Judson came to Burma, there were no known Christians. He said, today, six million Christ followers trace their spiritual lineage back to one man who made a difference, Adoniram Judson. Who could have been perceived as a failure in the early years and even the middle years? But look what he did. Wherever I go in some of these places, I say to them after I hear great sacrifice and great work, how do you do it? They say, Tom, we do it with sacrifice. Your level of generosity determines your level of clarity. What would have happened had she kept that bottle? I'd have just been broken today. 
What would have happened if she used it? Well, the perfume would have been great for a while, but it had been gone. But instead, she gave it to Jesus. That was important. There's a third thing we see. Generosity teaches us to leave an eternal legacy for what's important. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached, in the whole world what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. We need to be more concerned about God's commands than our success. You see, generosity is a commitment to the eternal, not the temporal. Jesus didn't criticize Mary for financial irresponsibility as the disciples did. He blessed her for it because he knew that she gave the very best of what was in her hand to give to Jesus because of what he was about to go through. Sometimes when you're extravagant to Jesus, people don't understand. And Maranatha, I want to make sure that you understand you do so much for missions around the world. But I know so much, could, we, we have so much we could do here in the community, or we could do more buildings, or we could do this, or we could do that. And Praise God, you're doing what you need to do, but don't lose sight ever of reaching the world for Jesus. Don't have what I call mission drift, as Peter Greer said. Stay strong in your focus on missions and the difference it's going to make. Let me close with the final story just before I pray. <clears throat> I was in uh, Africa, and our p- partner said, I want you to go um, to a certain place and take this person with you that was on the team. And we got there, and I met with the pastor in the side room, Pastor David, about this tall. I said, David, tell me your story. He said, well, I'm, I'm a church planter. He said, God just called me to come to this area. He said, now you need to know it's called the devil's playground. I said, okay, why? Well, murderers, prostitutes, drug addicts. He said, the police don't come here and the military don't come here. I said, okay, thank you for telling me after I've arrived, but that's good. I said, but tell me your story. He said, I came and he said, even my own pastor friends chided me for coming. They said I had ulterior motive because of the six prostitution camps. He said, but I knew God called me here. So he rented a place and they would take the dead bodies and throw them in his backyard and he would bury them. They would take the the junk, you can imagine, from the prostitution camps, throw them in his backyard and he would clean it up and get rid of it. But he would just every day begin to share Jesus and every morning at 4.30, seven days a week, he began to pray for people he met by name. Day after day, day after day, 4.30 in the morning, name my name, seven days a week. And all of a sudden, one, six camps became five camps, became four camps, became three camps, became two camps. He said, walk out with me. And I walked out, and here was a tenth auditorium of 3,000 people. He said, you see the ladies' worship team? I said, yeah. He said, those are all former prostitutes. You see the band? All former drug addicts and murderers and thieves. You see these 3,000 people? All of them in the devil's playground that we've taken back for the glory of God. As a church planter, wanting to make a difference, discounting the distraction of those who said maybe what he's doing is wrong to follow Jesus 
with all of his heart. Henry Blackaby said, some people say, God will never ask me to do something I can't do. I've come to the place in my life that if the assignment I sense God has given me is something I know I can handle, I know it's probably not from God. The kind of assignment God gives in the Bible are always God-sized. They're always beyond what people can do because he wants to demonstrate his nature, his strength, his provisions, his kindness to his people, to a watching world. That is the only way the world will come to know him. So men and women, let me encourage you to come with extravagant grace, to see what God's doing around the world, to hear the stories from the missionaries, to continue your church planting, to live, to be remembered for things that matter, live for acts of kindness that lighten the load, live to be remembered for giving what you have to the benefit of those who need, and live for Jesus. And then look around you and realize close to you are some empty pews, empty seats, empty bench where you could be a church planter in your community. doesn't have to be around the world. It could be at your home, in your neighborhood, telling people about Jesus and love on them. I'll never forget the words I heard recently from our Guatemala partner. Look for the ones no one else is looking for and help them. As people of faith, that's who we are. That's what we do helping people. That's what Maranatha Bible Church does, and that's what we should be known for. Amen? So, Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for Mary, who gave us a wonderful example of a life that listened and a life that obeyed, a life that acted, a life that gave, and a life that was extravagantly wonderful in her generosity. Thank you for our missionaries represented here. Thank you for their lives and their sacrifice. Put your hand of blessing, as Moses said in Psalm 90, may the favor of the Lord rest upon me and establish the work of my hands. Yes, Lord, establish the work of my hands. Do that for them. In Jesus' name, amen.